This episode of the podcast is brought to you by lying about your age to get into bars, even though we're of age. Among the victims was a man of strange skin, the color of marble in moonlight. His chest mortally pierced, his last words, suo tempore. This was the alchemist. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits, the podcast, the only podcast that found the Kronos device and discovered immortality, kind of. <laughs> kind of, Not, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I'm Zach. And I'm Frank. And today we are here to discuss the start of my one of my favorite directors, and Guillermo del Toro. one of my least favorite directors. I know. That's, <laughs> I was waiting for this because I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. So, Kronos, Guillermo del Toro's very first film. Yeah. I'm going to go into the things, okay, and then we'll get into oh, the I need things. To, I need to get my things ready. You don't even have your things. <laughs> and then we'll discuss why you didn't like this film. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kronos <laughs> came out in 1993, directed by Guillermo del Toro. This was his first feature film. Mm-hmm. You have Federico Lupe, who plays the main character of Jesus Gris. You have Ron Perlman, who plays Angel de la Guardo. You have Claudio Brook, who plays De La Guardo. And then you have Tamara Shanaf, who plays Aora. Aora. And that's really it, but she's not really even that important to the story. Not at all. That Yeah, that's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's super important to the story besides... No, Ron Perlman. Besides Jesus yeah. and Ron Perlman. Yeah, all right. Uh, and this is a film about a mysterious device designed to provide its owner with eternal life. Mm-hmm. And it resurfaces after like 400-something years. Um, and Jesus gets a hand of uh, gets a hold of it, and he's like, ah, let me let me put this thing on my chest or my hand, <laughs> hand <laughs> first, then and chest, it, and then it starts sucking his blood, and then he it, it, he essentially becomes a vampire. That's kind of like what this is. That's like yeah. what that's the vibe that I got. They never like come straight out and say it, but it's very much like vampire esque. I know you don't know about like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, really, but part one is exactly this pretty much oh, okay like the, except it's a stone mask that turns you into a vampire did jojo's bizarre adventure come out first yes really yeah so you're saying del toro stole this probably it's a possibility i mean but vampires are like another such an mark against old. del toro for me. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't care I, I like quentin tarantino quentin tarantino just takes everything from everybody so whatever i know so this being the start yeah. His first film, there are a lot of tropes that like Guillermo del Toro ended up using. Oh yeah. And there's actually a lot of things that he that he does in this movie that he doesn't do in I, that's actually kind of like what I'm more focused on mm-hmm. was like the stuff that he doesn't do in this movie that he ends up like excelling in going further into his career hmm. or like things that he does do in this movie that he stopped now doing, you know? Um so but like before we get into like that start, let's just kind of discuss the movie itself like yeah. how did you feel about it like as a, as a debut feature film did you like it did you not like it how'd you feel about it so as a debut feature film like i actually i i it's hard because like i i didn't love it yeah but i didn't hate it either yeah um i thought it was a decent film for like his yeah first i thought it, i thought it was a good first debut yeah like it wasn't paced like horribly no the acting wasn't terrible in it no <laughs> uh, there, <laughs> there's some though <laughs> yeah there, there's definitely like some of it and then you still do get like the tropes that Guillermo del Toro has the overall story itself was somewhat compelling if you think of it more as like less of like a vampire-esque thing 
and more just about like immortality and trying to like live yeah your life right. and and stuff like that and then Jesus as a main character very cool because like a lot of the times you don't get or when you do it's not always the best of like an older main character mm-hmm. because Jesus is more or less like in his 70s yeah he's like a, he's a grandfather yeah and like i actually felt for him throughout this film yeah i felt like he was very compelling as to like basically this man who was just struggling one with life and then two with just like providing for his wife and his granddaughter yeah and then coming across this thing and it becomes basically like a drug to him like he can't like once he starts using it he can't live without like the chronos device yeah even though it really doesn't do much for i mean it kind of like puts a little more pep in his step yeah but like you really don't get the full effect of it Mm-hmm. until like more towards the end where it's like oh yeah this thing makes you live forever basically and you can be healed Only by you wounds can suck blood yeah and you can you can lick blood off the floor off of the a floor? bathroom yeah that's fine <laughs> that part was cool yeah what about you why didn't you like it um i think for me well a i found it very strange that the the jumping back and forth between Spanish and English because yeah. the, the the opening narration mm-hmm. is 100% in English mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden your main character doesn't speak English once but yet somehow fully understands English from the other characters who then break off into these like we'll start off a sentence in, in Spanish and then immediately just jump into English and then just continue that conversation and this was a Mexican film yeah like why did he I, I felt like it was so like such a strange weird thing to do where it, it just kind of took me out of it it's like where does this movie take place like yeah. where are we and even so i like, feel like we're in a spanish like you know we're, we're we're in mexico and yet for some odd reason you're all your main characters and i didn't know that fucking ron perlman could just speak spanish like that like it was kind of like off-putting i didn't mm. i don't i don't know if he is spanish but like i was like no. wait a minute what <laughs> so like i guess what happened was because i did a little research on it um, Ron Perlman like actually tried to like learn Spanish for this film because he originally wanted it to be like when he read the script of like oh okay my character is just Spanish like yeah that's all I'll speak and then I guess Guillermo del Toro like heard it and was like this isn't this isn't super great. good yeah yeah so he wanted to do it where it's like okay speak English but you understand Spanish so without telling us which is what I have like an issue with is when I looked it up Angel's supposed to be, like, this guy who's basically, like, stuck in Mexico with his grandfather or whatever, who is um, De La Guardia. Yeah. And he just loathes being in Mexico. But he learned the language. Right. So he understands it, but he doesn't like to speak it. Yeah. It's it's, it's very strange. Yeah, like, that's the thing where it's, like, you know, you're not telling us anything. Like, there's a lot of exposition in the beginning of, like, what the Kronos device is and, like, how it kind of works. And then you have, like, these weird things where it's, like, you're not explaining, like, the characters at all. Yeah. Um, a big thing that I felt really deterred the story was the whole thing of De La Guardia's book, where it has, like, all the rules and regulations of the Kronos device. Necronomicon. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. Kind of, yeah. Um, and it tells you, like, you know, this is how it works and this is what you have to do. Yeah. But they don't explain anything of how it works oh no you get almost zero in the only thing that you really like learn from this thing is that it makes you eternal and you just like to like like blood but they don't really go into any type of like details as to what 
the device like where does it really really like truly come from how does it have this ability to do what it does what's inside of it yeah because there are like some kind of cool like shots of like the inside of it with like the gear spinning yeah. and like the, and the actual room. little bug and there's like a little it. bug in there but you get like nothing about it and it's just like very like i don't know it's just kind of like disappointing yeah even so like later on when like after he comes back from the car crash and the the roof which that's a bad roof man like you have so many holes in that roof yeah, yeah. and like the sunlight hits him and it kind of like burns him yeah and it's like okay i understand that this is a vampire movie but further elaborate of like why the chronos device is doing this yeah so in that aspect i was like this is a little off-putting story-wise yeah yeah and then like kind of what i guess kind of like a flaw for me that kind of transitions into the rest of his career is that I always find del Toro movies very they're I always find them not focused mm-hmm. and when they are focused they tend to be focusing on the least interesting part of his movie which is like my always like my one of my biggest gripes with him and some people love it I just don't resonate with it like like when you go to like Pan's Labyrinth mm-hmm. like really that's a, a war film like that's that's yeah. a, you know and like that really kind of like is about the war and you know whatever that that general or whatever that guy is and him and that's it's like kind of like a story about that with like these elements of this like fairy tale like dark fantasy kind of like elements that get put into it but the fairy tale aspect is so much better yeah and like so much more interesting and in this movie, you have the Kronos device, which is interesting and intriguing, but yet we're pretty much solely focusing on Jesus kind of just running around in the streets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, like, and De La Guardia and, just wanting and it. And just wanting it really badly. And like for like a good portion of this movie, it kind of feels like nothing really happens. Yeah, I will say like for... Pretty much up until like the last like fifteen minutes. Yeah, you almost really feel like what, feel like, like, like nothing is really going on. It's pretty much just what's it, Ron Perlman's character like running around being like, I hate my life. Yeah, and I and I hate my grandfather. <laughs> and then Jesus being like, What's going on with me? And then what? And then De La Guardia just being like, I want that device. <laughs> and like that's like the whole movie. From and then the, the daughter speaking. Is, yeah, and then the daughter is just like, I'm gonna follow Grandpa wherever. Yeah, and it's like, but she doesn't say it's one just, line. She has zero words. It's just like okay, <laughs> she's just there. <laughs> it's just like very odd. And for me, that is something that Guillermo del Toro, from the start of his career, mm-hmm. has always like done, where he's like focusing on things that, in my opinion, aren't nearly as interesting as the other aspects of the movie. Yet here we are again. Like even with the Shape of Water, like yeah. I don't know, like. You, you want to see the fish man. I want um yeah, I'm like I'm here for the fish guy. I, I was I was genuinely interested in that love story. I knew that it was going to be a love story and then and then again, we get this backdrop of like, oh, we're in the war and and we're undercover agents and what and you so on and so forth and it's just it feels like so left field for me and I don't know, like a lot of people love his movies for that because mm-hmm. like they like you know, they, they find it like intriguing and not nearly as like one dimensional and blah 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 blah. But I don't know. For me I just feel like Del Toro just never focuses on what I want him to focus on. I can agree with you on that one. I mean, there are like a few tropes where it's like I notice that he did carry forward that kind of defines Guillermo del Toro as a director mm-hmm. and that you can see the start of practical effects. Yeah. So, like, every time that, like, he 
and I'm talking about Jesus has like the Chronos device in his hand and like lets it like clamp on and then you get that cool little like scorpion tail yeah. that goes in like that is practical effects and it looks decent yeah it looks decent especially like when Jesus really starts kind of like falling apart yeah and he starts peeling away his skin yeah i i specifically liked when he like started like reaching into his own torso yeah and was that like, was really cool yeah, i was like ah, that's pretty good that looks good you know and like one thing that i i do appreciate about del toro's filmmaking in general is just his elaborate like set designs like he yes. always has really really beautiful like sets and um this movie was i think it's it's a very strange thing to mm. to from the way that i i guess maybe from the way that i was seeing it i don't know if you agree but when when they put the camera inside of the chronos device mm-hmm. that feels like a del toro elaborate set design yes for me because all of a sudden you're inside of the chronos device and it feels like a massive room mm-hmm. and you have all the gears spinning and and the 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 tail of the whatever creature slug thing that's in there um, and it just, that felt like the beginning of him realizing that he has like a knack for like making really, really cool sets. Yeah. That's why like always it'll be set design and practical effects that really define Guillermo del Toro as a director. Yeah. Um, something that I noticed too, that was like a beginning of his tropes is he always has a villain disfigurement. Mm-hmm. In his films. Yeah. So, like, Devil's Backbone, he gets, like, stabbed in the armpit, and, like, his eye starts, um like, all bloodshot, and yeah. Pan's Labyrinth, the main villain, has, like, the Cheshire or grin, yeah. Chelsea grin, whatever yeah. it is. Um, so, for this movie, with Ron Perlman having, like, the broken nose, yeah. like, I, I see those little small things of, like, him starting to do it. Mm-hmm. And then he always ends up having, like, you mentioned it, too, he always ends up having kind of like this mythical side to things set in a realistic era, usually yeah, like he, wartime. Yeah, he's always, I, I kind of wrote down how it's like, it's always like half, it's always like half horror and then half like... Fantasy. Fable, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like this movie, the fable is like the vampire. Yeah. And then the horror is also the vampire, vampire. <laughs> it's kind of the vampire <laughs> and then you also have like bittersweet endings with him like there's never actually like a film from him where everything turns out happy yeah it's always kind of like you know the main vi- or the main hero always ends up like paying some sort of price mm-hmm. and in this jesus definitely does for like what he's done yeah but together like it, it's still creating somewhat of a cohesive story even though it's not at the same time with this film yeah like there's a lot that i ended up seeing where i was like okay this is the start of where he's gonna go but why couldn't he have like this foresight now to make it look a little (laughs) bit better just (laughs) angry about it yeah like you you know what you want and you see, like, later on, like, what he does. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was kind of surprising because this movie, I think, I'm pretty sure that this film was, like, one of the most expensive Mexican films, like, ever, like, at it the was. time, like, yeah. ever made. And yet, 
I feel like we still had like a lot of undercooked things that like it's not like I can't I wouldn't even be able to say that it was like budget restraints you know like I feel like he had the money to like flesh out characters or like just do different things mm-hmm. where like it because this movie doesn't feel rushed at all like this does feel like a movie that he was like making and it, it seems like he made the movie that he wanted to make yeah and that's always been like a big thing too with Guillermo del Toro that like he has like these passion projects so like this Devil's Backbone Pan's Labyrinth but he has to make like the blockbuster stuff in order to gain funding for those films. Yeah. So like he ended up having to do like mimic that we talked about with like the giant bugs to get the money to do devil's backbone. He had to do like Hellboy to get the money for pan's labyrinth. Um, I'm pretty sure he had to do uh, scary stories to tell in the dark to gain more funding for um, mountain of madness. Yeah, I don't Which, think that's going to happen. I keep like, I, <laughs> man, I, I search it up at least like once a month just to see like where yeah. it's at. I think he's in talks with Legendary right now. And then they they have to do it PG-13. Ugh. But he's going to push it to like as much as he can of PG-13. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it's enough that like he can at least yeah, try to make uh, it. The, most re- thing, the thing that I saw like most recently was that. He's going to be doing like a stop motion Pinocchio film. Yes, which actually seems like really cool. <laughs> I'm actually interested because like <laughs> Pinocchio can be really creepy and with Guillermo del Toro's practical effects, yeah. that could be really cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So back to Kronos though. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did realize kind of like what I was saying earlier about like stuff that he stopped doing that he was doing in this movie mm-hmm. was I noticed that going forward in his career... Del Toro is very much like a visual storyteller mm-hmm. and very much somebody who doesn't like long-winded dialogue and like exposition. And this entire movie is pretty much exposition. For the most part, especially that opening scene. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like literally the opening scene, I was actually kind of shocked yeah. that the opening scene was just, hey, he, what, this is the Chronos device, this is what it does, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's just like, just word vomit. And mm-hmm. I was just like, this is already not feeling like a Guillermo del Toro <laughs> movie. Like, like that feels like something that he doesn't do at all. Mm-hmm. Like, he is such a, a visual storyteller. And, and like, going back to like his set designs and like all the details that he puts into his movies, you know, like, he always, he always just tries to st- tell the story as visual as possible. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it's very much not. Yeah, and it kind I mean, of was surprising to me. You, d- I will agree because like I, I was just like, what the fuck is going on in the opening? Yeah. But then you see like the set design of the alchemist like talking about it, and you you kind of get like the camera angles, and I'm like, okay, this is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Like the word vomit is not yeah. him, but like the set and everything like that, that is him. Yeah. And that was where I was like, okay, like he's building, he's getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool to see. It is. It really is cool to see. And then like really the last thing that I really, really noticed was Del Toro, I always find his violence in like the movies that he makes like the violence slash like the action mm-hmm. is always kind of like awkward. Yeah. And like I think he does it on purpose. And I and, and I guess that like it kind of comes from like a place where violence and it is something that I do like I, I appreciate like very well choreographed violence but i also really really appreciate like realistic violence that isn't very hollywood and yeah. isn't very like you know just it looks like okay we we choreographed this like to a t and everybody's like working perfectly and there is a time and a place for that but his movies always feel like a little bit more realistic with the violence like you were mentioning like getting stabbed in like the armpits mm-hmm. and i remember in i think it was uh 
I think it was Crimson Peak where what's his name gets like stabbed in the face with like an ice pick. Yes, yeah. And and also somebody gets stabbed in the armpit in that movie too. I'm yeah, pretty Charlie sure. Hunnam gets yeah, stabbed yeah, in yeah. the armpit too. Um, he has a thing for armpits. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know just stuff like that. Like he he always has like this 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 way of kind of making you wince at the violence because it's like oh man like. Imagine getting stabbed in the armpit. Like, ah, that seems like it wouldn't be like, like you know, it's just like awkward and weird and like kind of quirky. And in this movie, the violence is very Hollywood. Like the like the final action, mm-hmm. like the final action scene where like Jesus fucking tackles yeah. <laughs> him, and then they and, like, like brings fly him off the building and like through the roof and land like that. Like the whole thing felt very very Hollywood, and I'm kind of glad that he that he has broken off of that from Chronos mm-hmm. and 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 is now like really found his his kind of style of violence that I think he's kind of like known for at this point. Yeah, because yeah, this movie just. There is so many things that you can say that you can see in this film that he broke that he kind of like broke the habit of mm-hmm. the dialogue or you know like the yeah a the dialogue and b the exposition and just just telling you what's going on and then all of these like really like kind of it just, the action did not feel like a Guillermo del Toro action scene. No, it felt, it felt really like Die Hard, like the first Die Hard kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you have like this twenty five year old. Of Angel versus yeah. the seventy-year-old of Jesus, and it's like, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. fucking, what do you? And he's like getting? literally falling apart. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so you know, and so I, I think that he has grown a lot as a filmmaker, and mm-hmm. and watching Chronos, it is good to see. I, I, yeah. I, I I'll be honest, like you know, I've said it a million times. I'm not the biggest fan of Guillermo del Toro, but I do respect him a lot, mm-hmm. and I do think that he's very necessary for. I think I, I would kind of say that Guillermo del Toro is one of the most important figures for keeping practical effects alive in filmmaking. I like, think, I think that, that he is, I think he's like the gold standard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I think that if, if there wasn't somebody like Guillermo del Toro that, that was doing, that was still like cutting out such a big chunk of his budget for all of these practical effects and to make these really beautiful, elaborate creatures, then we would be in a, in a world of cinema where, it's all just everything CGI. would just be CGI. You know, yeah. I, I think that you have to, you know, credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. And I think that Del Toro 110% is the best version of still using practical effects and them still being as effective or even more effective than the CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, I thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I respect him a lot. Yeah. I, I do. I, I think that he, and I think that. I think that although I find his filmmaking and his storytelling not super like clean and mm-hmm. super like cohesive and I feel like he focuses on things that I don't really care about nearly as much there's always elements of every movie that I watch from his that I really really love mm-hmm. and and I just kind of wish that that's what he focused on more you know what I mean yeah. like Pan's Labyrinth for me has so much potential. And I think that Pan's Labyrinth probably is one of his better films. Like in my opinion, that's like that's like top two to three for me. I was gonna ask you like which of Guillermo del Toro's films do you think is like the best? Yeah. Or, and, or in terms of your favorite. Yeah, and but I think I, I think it's Pan's Labyrinth mm-hmm. for me. And I still don't love that movie. I and know. that that's kind of like where like my problem lies in is like my favorite film from a filmmaker is a movie that I still don't even like that much. <laughs> like it, it's really cool. Like, like there are elements, man. Like the creatures in that movie are yeah. amazing. And, 
and it's and it's funny and mm-hmm. and and it's but and, and it's, it's dark creepy. and and I love how in that in that beginning of the movie he just straight up shows you the girl I don't remember her name but the main girl that you know that they say is the princess like the opening shot is her dead yeah. so like he he tells you from the start like this is where this movie's going to end mm-hmm. and and I respect that so much but then I just have all of this extra stuff about the war and Mm -hmm. and and i understand that that's like the backdrop of the of it but i don't know like for me i just feel like it doesn't it it never like it always just feels like he's taking things and stitching them together and he's like it's you know ironically because he loves monsters it feels like frankensteining like a film together you know it's like i want to have like a dark fairy tale that takes place in a in a in a war like in Mm -hmm. a war zone it's like okay cool and that's what he but does. But let's a lot. focus on the dark fairy tale, and mm-hmm. then have like those elements in the background. Like that can that can be the supporting. But in reality, it's more of like a war movie that's being supported by this dark fairy tale. And it's just like it, it never it never like hits home for me. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I still really respect the man, and I think that he is a, ne- a necessary filmmaker for our time. And watching Kronos and going back and seeing the start of him it does shine a lot of light on how far he has progressed mm-hmm. and how he has learned not to do the exposition and really, really hone in on the practical effects. Yeah, and then in so doing too, like find out what really works for him, like the practical effects, the kind of Spanish slash Roman Catholic yeah. type mythology that always goes on to it, fairy tale stuff, war stuff, bittersweet ending villain disfigurement like those are all the things that like he does really really well in storytelling yeah and that's where he's kind of created his own little niche of like how he is as a director yeah and that's where i think i find the most joy like in seeing guillermo del toro films yeah seeing what how he's gonna use like the same kind of like symbolisms and styles differently each time yeah he's a director that I always I'm no matter what I'm still going to go to the theater and see his mm-hmm. his next film even though I always go in there with like pretty kind of like low expectations but I'm still and that's got to be a compliment of some kind right like yeah. uh, like uh, about a uh, about a a person who loves movies who who has a director that he doesn't really like that much mm-hmm. and doesn't really resonate with any of his films but yet will still go to every theatrical release because I still want to see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's doing something right. Or you want to just see, like, if this is... I want to talk shit. <laughs> Will this be the one that I actually like? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that that Kronos is an, is an admirable uh, debut. And I think that it's worth watching if you haven't seen... If you, if you are a big fan of Del Toro, I mm-hmm. think that... Kronos is a is a good movie to to watch to see how he has developed as a filmmaker. I give this seven archangels out of ten <laughs> <laughs> statues. Yes, uh, Zach, you got a recommendation? I do. So, uh, it kind of goes along with like the darkness of everything. So, something that I've been like binge watching on Netflix lately, and there's not a lot. There's like eight episodes altogether. Okay. They're like forty minutes long each. It came out in 2018, but again, I'm late to shit, and I like to fucking get at it when i get at it yeah yeah so it's a journalist uh david farrier who travels the world and ends up going to weird obscure tourist sites yeah i've seen this so 
The yeah, show is yeah. called Dark Tourist. Yeah. Um, he has episodes where it's like he'll go to like East Asia, he'll go to like Latin America, he'll go to Japan, he'll go here in America, and just go to like the most obscure, weird kind of places. Like in Japan, he took like um a tour ride where you actually go through Japan's version of Chernobyl, oh, okay. which is ten times worse with radiation yeah and they're just like yeah we're on a bus yeah Fuck yeah it. yeah um in the latin america one he ends up like sitting down and talking with uh pablo escobar's hitman mm-hmm. which is really cool you have one that like i just watched last night where he is in america and he goes to new orleans and like has interviews with like actual vampires air quotes air quotes yeah. you, got, you definitely gotta say air quotes <laughs> yes <laughs> not such a thing <laughs> but um and then goes to like where jfk was assassinated and like just takes two separate tours one being like way more theatrical of like oh this is like an entertainment one yeah and then one being more of like this is facts this is like exactly how it happened this is where he died this is how he died like everything like that yeah and it's really interesting because it's not the norm of like where everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to visit like Tokyo. I'm going to visit like all of like the hot spots and everything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. He's going to like the weird places that only a few people want to go. And I think that's really interesting just to see like the world around us of like not everything is what's shown like in the brochures. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have seen a few a few of those episodes. I think I saw the JFK one, and I know I saw the uh, the Japanese like Chernobyl one. Yeah, and like that one was like very freaky because everyone started like everyone on tour bus started getting like real nervous because they, everybody has like the uh, yeah like the radiation the little, meters, mm-hmm. and they're like, uh, this is like you know whatever <laughs> this like is seventy bad. times like what the human body is supposed to be able to take, <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, we want to go home, and the tour the the, the, the uh, tour bus guy is like, all right, let's <laughs> he's go. like, nah, it's not that bad, <laughs> and then he also like visits a um, um, like the hotel that's ran by just robots. I haven't seen that. Well, that was in the. I don't think I must have like come in like at the end or something. Yeah, he gets told like which room he's going to by a uh, a raptor. Oh, cool. Yeah. So oh, was, you know what? I did see that. Yeah, and You're I was right. like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. This just furthers the point of why I want to go to Japan. Yeah. No, it, it is definitely like a fun show. Um, cool. All right. Awesome. Frank, what are we doing next? Oh, Zach, we're going to be doing a movie that I I remember when we where you and I worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that we don't work together now because clearly we this kind is, of this is sort of like work, I guess. Um, I put this on like my taxes. <laughs> it's a write off. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first saw this movie, I was like, "You really got to see this movie, man!" And I and I wanted to talk to you about it like mm-hmm. for for fucking years now, and we haven't, and you never gotten around to see it. Um, so we're finally going to get around to seeing You Were Never Really Here. Ooh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh yeah, my boy. Um, so look forward to that. If you haven't seen it, please watch it so you can join in on the conversation next week. Zach, please take us out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Now, Frank, this is just the start.